I feel like this message is beyond just Ram Church. It's a message I feel God is wanting to release to the church in this nation. Um, but before I go into that, I want to pray because I don't know if you realize, but Halloween is coming up. And oftentimes around this time of the year, there's increased amount of dark activities. And Christians often find themselves struggling with all kinds of strange emotions. Not all depression is chemical. Sometimes it's demonic oppression. Oh, thank you for the amen over there. And I feel even before I speak, there's some stuff to deal with in this atmosphere right now. So do you want to just stand with me? Um, and I just want to pray over you. And I, if you can pray in tongues, I just want to encourage you to pray in tongues. Now, we're not praying for anyone else. You're praying for yourself right now, okay? Because um, I, I do believe in intercession and praying for other people. But sometimes you need to lay hands on yourself and command your soul to align with the heart of God. Command your heart to align with... You know, David said, why are you downcast, oh my soul? Put your what? Your hope in God. I believe someone needs to hear that today, regardless of what the mountains are like and the challenges are like and what your emotions are saying, I believe God is calling you to arise and begin to see things from a different perspective. So Father, right now, we just turn our affections towards you. We turn our hearts towards you. If you can pray in tongues, just pray with me right now. I thank you, Father, that the Ram Church and people in this meeting right now, they are your people. So Father, right now, we thank you for an open heaven over this space where angels ascend and descend. And as your people who have been given authority, we exercise our divine authority right now by submitting ourselves to you and resisting the darkness. We submit ourselves to your lordship. We submit ourselves to your peace, your joy, your righteousness, your holiness reigns in us. We lay hands on ourselves and we declare that the kingdom of God is manifested in here. Every distraction, every dullness, every oppression of the enemy right now, we take authority over that right now in the name of Jesus. We bind every spirit of darkness, every spirit of deception, of confusion, of condemnation. We declare your time is up. We bind you and cast you out. We declare God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And we put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. So right now, in the name of Jesus, we declare that this atmosphere is a place of freedom where revelation flows. Anyone that's coming here with chains, with bondage, with a downcast heart, we declare right now that the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. I speak strength over every tired heart. I speak strength over every discouraged heart. I release courage over this congregation right now. Father, we thank you that where your presence is, where your spirit is, there is freedom. So we declare freedom reigns in this place. Just place your hands on your heart right now. Father, we declare freedom reigns in our hearts right now. We remove all the demonic cobwebs on our hearts right now. We pull off all the blankets of heaviness. Father, your anointing breaks the yoke. So right now, let every yoke be broken and every burden be lifted and the grace of God will begin to be released over hearts and minds right now. Place your hands over your eyes right now. Father, we thank you for vision. We thank you for clarity of vision where our vision has been blurred by distractions. Our visions have been blurred by deceptions. Right now, in Jesus' name, we receive your anointing over our sight that we have eyes for you and we have eyes to see what you want us to see. Just place your hands over your ears as well. Father, I thank you for the unblocking of our ears to hear you right now. We take authority over 
every, every spirit of dullness in the ears. Father, we declare that we will not be deaf of hearing. We declare an awakening of our spirits right now. Our ears are open to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church in this hour. Father, we thank you for grace. It is not by power. It is not by might. It is by your Spirit. So, Lord, we thank you that Holy Spirit empowers us this morning. I thank you for grace that empowers us. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You can have your seats. I feel good already. Yeah. Sometimes you just need to pray yourself happy. (laughs) And uh, oftentimes we don't know how to do that uh, in a corporate setting because oftentimes we don't do that in a private setting where you're able to do a self-examination, look at your emotions and go, okay, what's going on with me today? Uh, You know, where does this emotion come from? Okay, uh, maybe I'm upset about that. Or you're like, well, I don't even know what I'm upset about. Why am I feeling... Do some self-examination, not in terms of navel-gazing, kind of like, oh, woe is me and all that jazz. But you're like, what's this? Okay, well, I don't know where this comes from. This is not from God. Well, I'm, I'm dealing with it now in Jesus' name. The more you do that, the more you learn how to do that in a corporate setting. When you do that more in a private setting. Are you with me? So you can walk into a place and go, hmm, this place feels a bit funky. Something needs to shift here. And you don't have to be on the microphone. You could be at the back of the church just crying out to God. And because of your understanding of shifting atmospheres, you begin to shift the atmosphere. Are you with me? Amen. So we're going to be looking at Acts 5 um, uh, this morning. We're looking at uh, a few things that happen in Acts 5. Acts 5 is a bit of an intense uh, portion of Scripture uh, where lots of things happened that um, God has just been highlighting to me. Oftentimes, I find that with the way God speaks to me, situations come up, things happen, and I find myself just questioning things and thinking about things, and then all of a sudden, the Word just starts to bubble up in me, and God starts to confirm it in different ways. So just like Pastor Joe says, it's about to get intense, don't take it personal, and think I'm mad at you. Uh, Sometimes when I speak, I'm not just speaking to the people in the room, but I'm speaking to the spiritual atmosphere of the region and what God's doing in that moment. And it's beyond just the physical people in the room. And I really do believe this is one of those words that's very much uh, relevant for the body of Christ at large right now, especially in the UK. So in Acts 5, the first few verses we read about Ananias and Sapphira, and I'm just going to read that to you. But a certain man named Ananias and Sapphira with his wife sold the possession and he kept back a part of the proceedings of, the, of what they sold, the possession, his wife, also being aware of it, uh, bought a certain part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. So basically, they bought this land and they, uh, uh, they came to the apostle and gave a false impression. They, they, maybe they, they gave an impression that all they were giving to the apostle and giving to the church was all they'd sold the land for, but they kept apart for themselves. And so that's what's happened here. Verse 3. But Peter said to Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it, while it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, so it was, let me just read that again. And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. 
it's a, it's a bit of a sobering message, really. And I don't think I, I hear people talk about this that often, uh, because in the new, in, in our kind of church culture, we um, oftentimes, and I, I understand the thinking behind this, but it's not totally right. We think God was mad in the Old Testament, and God is happy in the New Testament. And for people that think like that, I want to ask you the question, have you read the book of Revelations? Now, obviously, yes, God is a good father. And yes, I do know, you know, we hear people say God is in a good mood, but there's something also called the wrath of God. (laughs) And this did not happen in the Old Testament. This happened in the New Testament. They lied and they died. (laughs) We are in the New Testament church after the cross right now. There's lots of lies going on. In fact, a lot of lies happening on the platform with pastors and leaders. And I put myself in that category as well. I'm not pointing the finger. And even as I speak this message, I want to realize this. And just natural. If I point a finger at you, you know how many pointed back at me? Three. So this is not a message saying, woe is you. I'm also saying, Lord, have mercy on me. (laughs) So we often lie in the things we say. In fact, I think Sunday mornings sometimes the place where Christians lie the most. Because we come and we say things that are not really true in our hearts. And we give God lip service and are not honest before God. He says, worship God in spirit and in truth. And, for, you know, you have to come to a place of real honesty. That's not ignoring the reality of the situation. Oh, I just had a fight with my wife. Or I just, like, this just happened. And you come and you act like nothing has ever happened and put on this church face and church culture of facade. It's about acknowledging what's going on, but not allowing your faith or not allowing your worship to be based on your feelings. It's not in living in self-denial. But oftentimes we are tolerating a culture of deceit and lies. But what amazes me is what happened to uh, Ananias here doesn't happen to us in the church today. And we have to ask ourselves, why is it that in the New Testament church they lied and they died? However, today in the New Testament church, we lie and everything is okay, seemingly. Now, Ananias died, and then I'm not going to read the next few verses, but the next thing that happens was his wife comes without knowing that he is dead, and comes and Peter challenges her in the same way. And she basically carried on with the lying. And Peter says to her, well, the people who took your husband, they're right there and they're going to take you as well. And she falls down, boom, drops dead and dies. I mean, that is intense. Okay. Now, after that, right after that, we read this in Acts 5.12. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all in one accord in Solomon's porch. So all this crazy stuff is happening, and yet God's moving with powerful signs and wonders. Verse 15. So that they brought the sick out into the street and lay them on the beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on them. So here we have people dying for lying, and also Peter's shadow healing the sick. 
I don't know if we see these kind of manifestations of the Spirit today in our generation. Well, I, I have not seen this level. Now, that's not to say it's not happening. And there are reasons for that we're going to touch on in a few moments. Now, verse 16 says, Also, a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits. Now, this next bit really does something to me. And they were all healed. Everyone say, they were all. They were all healed. Now, I know great ministers who function in the gift of healing, and God moves through them. However, I have not heard the people I know make these kind of statements, that they went into a meeting where people got healed, and someone got healed of a pain here, and someone stood out of the wheelchair, and someone got healed of cancer, and every single sick person in the meeting got healed. If you've been in a meeting like that, please speak to me at the end of this service because I want to know about it. And um, I think there's something that God is doing because I don't see this happen often. We do see healings and I have seen healings and praise God for that. But how many can appreciate the fact that this is on another level? That the Spirit of God is so manifested that every sick person got healed. During the Azusa Street Revival, it was said that some people that did not have limbs, in the glory of God, they will be prayed for, and right there, an arm grows out. Now, do you understand that if you saw that with your eyes, you're ruined for the rest of your life? Because that is the kind of miracle that I just go, oh my goodness. I mean, what do you do with that? In the Bible, there are all kinds of crazy miracles happening, and here you have the apostles Walking in such an anointing that all these crazy manifestations are taking place. Now, this is a picture of the dimension of the glory and the presence of God that the apostles were walking in. And when we read about these things, and oftentimes I, um, I, 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 I pray this and I also hear people pray this and desire, Lord, we want to see your glory manifest. Lord, we want to see your, your presence come on this degree. I want to get you to understand that we actually don't know what we're praying for when we pray those prayers. Because right here was a manifestation of the dimension of the glory of God that had not been seen before. And when the glory of God is manifested to this intensity, there is greater judgment for sin. In fact, there is instant judgment for sin in this type of glory. You know, the brighter the light gets in the natural, the more you start to notice things you never noticed were on you. Okay, so right now there's light in this room, but if the light got really, really bright on you and you looked at yourself, you'd be like, oh, wow, I didn't know that was on me. But you can't see that right now because it's not that bright. In the same way, the glory of God is in dimensions, and the church on the, on the earth right now has a dimension of the glory and the presence of God. However... Glory past glory. That's like a Nigerian way of saying something. Like say power past power. <laughs> In other words, there are different dimensions of glory we have no idea about. Um, the same John in the book of uh, uh, John who kind of leaned on Jesus' chest was the same John who saw the same Jesus in the fullness of his glory. And when he saw Jesus in the fullness of glory, you know what the Bible says? He falls like a dead man. That was the same Jesus he was leaning on. But now he was seeing Jesus in the fullness of his glory. I believe for the church to really function in who God has called 
us to be, we have to be functioning in that place of beholding his glory. See, he says, we're going to be changed to his likeness as he is now. Not as he was, just as a human who was anointed of God. And yes, he was God in human form. But now he's in the fullness of his glory. And the encounter that John had in the book of Revelations is the kind of encounter that God wants the church to be more familiar with in terms of the glory of God and a healthy fear of God. A healthy fear of God that causes us not to be afraid of God in terms of running away from God, but being so conscious that God sees everything that goes on in our minds. God sees every thought that we have passing through our imagination right now, and God has an opinion about it. When you live in a healthy fear of God, what's it saying in Proverbs? The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. But you also live with this awareness that everything matters. Everything that's happening, it matters to God. God has an opinion on what's going on. It's good to live like our thoughts are played on big screens and heard on loudspeakers in heaven. How would you think and how would you live internally if you're aware that everything you think and imagine is being played on big screens and the whole of heaven and you know the, the angelic realm are watching do you know um the, the 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 angelic realm and the kingdom of darkness don't need to be able to read your thoughts in the realm of the spirit you emanate who you are it's like an atmosphere you carry you know you go to the shopping mall and it says you're here in the spirit realm anyone Looking at you from a spiritual perspective with open eyes can identify where you are in the spirit. So it's important that we're not just trying to worship God on the outside and look good, but that there is something going on deep here that's actually authentic. I don't want to look good to you. I want to look good to him. So if I want to look good to him, then when my thoughts are wandering the wrong direction, I am quick to confess and admit what's going on, as opposed to start to cohabit with evil thoughts and evil imaginations that I am called to evict. So right now, I'm living with, I'm not saying right now in, in reality, but right now, you could be living with realities in our hearts that heaven is opposed to. But because no one sees it, you're kind of okay with it. Unforgiveness. Um, lust, jealousies, envies, backstabbings, evil thoughts about people. Do you know your thoughts also carry an atmosphere? So if my thoughts towards Olivia are constantly hatred, there is something she might feel if she's sensitive when she comes around me. Because it's not just her being able to read. She's not actually reading my mind. But when you're sensitive, you can pick up atmospheres. And God is not just concerned about the external. He's wanting the internal to be aligned fully with him. So here you have the apostles. People are dying. You have also great manifestation of the healings of God like they've never seen before. And then you also have this bit in uh, uh, Acts 5, 40 and 41. And when they're called for the apostles... Okay, let me just tell you the bit of the story, what happened in between after, you know, the healings and all of that. 
the, the, uh, the, the leaders of the day, the leaders of the synagogue got really upset with the apostles. They put them in prison and the, the, an angel came and set them free out of prison. They went out there preaching the gospel and the leaders got really upset with them, called them in and warned them not to preach in the name of Jesus. So we come to this verse in verse um, 40 and 41. And when they called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and then they let them go. So the apostles departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Listen, church, this kind of faith that the apostles are manifesting is rare in our expression of Christianity today. The apostles have been beaten with many stripes. They didn't go back home to complain and say, Lord, I was doing your work. Why did that happen to me? Lord, why did you let me go through such pain and difficulty? Father, I'm offended at you, Lord. I'm disappointed with you. You know what they did? After they've been beaten with stripes, it says they, they were rejoicing and they, they were rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. In the 21st century church, we are running away from suffering for God. Now, when I say suffering, I don't mean God is wanting to put sickness on you and God's wanting to just curse you with cancer so that he wants to teach you a lesson. I don't believe in that. But oftentimes, God puts us through situations that is like the trialing of our faith. Trials and tribulations. There is a gospel being preached today in the church that goes like this. Come to Jesus. Surrender your life to Jesus and he's going to make you happy and your life is going to be amazing. Get filled with the Holy Spirit and you're going to live your best life now and everything is going to be amazing. You're going to marry the person you want to marry. Your marriage is going to be perfect. You're going to have an amazing promotion at work and everything's going to align correctly and all your finances will be provided. Come to Jesus and loads of people are coming. But can I tell you that Jesus did not actually preach that message. Jesus himself, after he was filled with the Spirit, do you know what happened? He had the worst experience of his life after he was filled with the Spirit. Because the same Spirit that filled him up put him in a dry place, a hard place, no food, no water, being tempted by the devil for 40 days. He didn't get filled with the Spirit to have comfortable Christianity. He got filled with the Spirit and then got tested in the wilderness. And when he came out, he came out with power. But we don't want the testing and we want the power. We want the infilling. We want to feel good. We want the goosebumps. We want to fall down in the Spirit. We want all this stuff. But show me the man or the woman of God that's great in the grace of power and the anointing. And I will show you someone that's been through some real trials. You will not be who God has called you to be without no trials. So today I want to say to you, stop running away from the trials. Just say, Lord, what are you trying to do in me in this trial? What are you trying to raise up in me? My flesh doesn't like it. My emotions don't like it. My whole life feels like it's not going anywhere. And this doesn't feel like what I signed up for. But Lord, I choose not to be offended at you. I choose for you to work in me in this season. You know, in our generation, we are not really Pentecostals. I would say we are Punicostals. Because we are complaining about everything. 
I mean, part of the reason why this message was kind of moved to a whole new dimension in my heart was a conversation I had with a friend, and he got really upset. And all these things happened after he got upset. And, you know, like, you know, he got really mad. He got his Bible. He said, Lord, this is a piece of rubbish. Holy Spirit, don't speak to me anymore. You know, God, I'm so mad at you. And so, so we, I was like, wow. I was like, that's really intense that you reacted that way. So I said, well, let's just talk about what's going on. What, what, what led to that? Let's talk about what was going on inside of you. Okay, because, you see, the foundations are important. And when, the, when there's issues in the foundations and you build on top of it, eventually those issues start to show up as cracks in the wall and things start to look a bit funny because the foundations were not right. For someone to react that way at God, and you know, there are times where I've got upset at God too. <laughs> so I'm not even pointing the finger. I'm like, oh yeah, I, I know times where I've, I feel like I'm almost in my own right. Like, God, why did this happen? God, why did it? And almost get in a place of upsetness and ranting at God um, not from a place of trust, but from a place of unbelief and offense. Because, okay, let me just back. There's a different, questioning God is not wrong. Questioning God from a place of trust leads to revelation. But questioning God from a place of offense leads to more unbelief and leads to a spiral of darkness. So I'm not saying it's wrong, but it's a, where it's coming from. So I'm talking to my friend here, and he's like, you know, um, uh, you know, there's just issues going on in my family. I, I, I was believing God for this, and it hasn't happened. And I'm believing God for that, and it's happening. And I went to the barber, and, they, and I had a wrong haircut. Now, I know your reaction and my reaction, but don't judge that person, because many of us are doing the same thing. Oh, yeah, God, I, I prayed for some money. It hasn't come through. Oh, yeah, Lord, I prayed for my friend who had cancer and they died. Oh, yeah, God, I prayed for my parents and they're still divorcing. Oh, yeah, God, I prayed about my marriage and it's not changing. Oh, yeah, God, I prayed for healing my body. And you say you're going to do it, but you haven't done it. Oh, God, why? Why, 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 why? I want to ask you a question. Does God exist for you or do you exist for him? Amen. You're putting God on trial? Just because you prayed for something and hasn't happened? If there's anything I'll title this message, I'll title it, it's time to, I don't know if it's time to, I'll say faith of steel. God wants us to develop faith of steel that is immovable. Because listen to me, there are some great storms ahead of the church. I don't know if people are going to be preaching this. and You know what, it's not my responsibility to see what everyone else is preaching i'm just i'm just responsible to say what i believe god is saying to the church right now there are great storms ahead of the church and i love this statement from mike bickle too much of our inspirational charismatic rhetoric has become both anemic and insufficient relative to the to the coming storm our charismatic Pentecostal evangelical culture today in the church is all about feed me. It's not make me feel good, pastor. Now, don't get me wrong. God will encourage you, but you're signing up to be part of an army. You don't go into the barracks and expect the commander-in-chief to just come there every day to be encouraging you. He's like, come on, pick up your weights. Come on, do those push-ups. Come on, come on. He's, you're in an army. And this is what he says in, uh, in, uh, in 2 Timothy 2, 3. It says, you therefore endure hardship 
as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles themselves with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who, he's, who, who enlisted him as a soldier. You are in an army, and God is going to test you, and you're going to have to go through difficulties. But oftentimes, our church services are more like nurseries as opposed to a barracks where warriors have been raised. Because babies just want bottles, not battles. And God is like, it's time for the church to stop being saying, oh, feed me, pastor, make me feel, and say, Lord, it's, Lord, I want you to do whatever you need to do in me that I can become who you've called me to be. Now, I can speak from my perspective of being in ministry, but that may not relate to many of you because they, now, now I know people in this room, I'm looking, I know some people are going through some difficult circumstances and I've got some difficult circumstances myself. I understand the trials and tribulations we're going through, but at the same time, as I'm looking at some of these trials, I feel like God is wanting us to have perspective. Look at things from the right perspective. You have been living like a chicken on the earth, looking at the mountain, as opposed to living like an eagle in the, in the heavens, looking down at what lo- what's actually big in natural terms, but because of your altitude, now that thing that looks big looks very small. God is like, stop being the chickens. It's time to be the eagles. Stop being on the floor, just pecking at every little thing that's coming against you. Oh, Lord, my iPhone broke. Why did you let that happen? Oh, Lord, my computer broke. My, my iPad broke. Well, maybe you just need to buy an iPhone case. You need to get your computer sorted with the right antivirus or whatever else. And stop blaming God for every single problem in your life. Oh, God, I didn't get a parking space. Why has this happened? Oh, yeah, God, my husband said these things to me. Why has that happened? And we're living with victim mentality soldiers don't live like victims they live like war <laughs> my wife said I just blew up the mic <laughs> uh, in the book of Acts listen they lied and they died Acts 5 Shadow healing the sick, and everyone that came for healing, everyone got healed. And then the people that God used to release the healing have been beaten with many stripes. Now, the same glory that killed Ananias and Sapphira was the same glory that healed all. And was the same glory that caused the apostles to be beaten with stripes. In our 21st century Christianity, we want to pick the glory part that we look good in and that everything works according to our good, the way we like it. So all the sick are healed. We have a big ministry and everything looks good, but we don't realize that same glory comes with instant judgment and God would judge sin, boom, in that way. And that same glory is also going to lead to great persecution. We look at stories like Moses. Moses uh, 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 disobeys God. God says, speak to the rock. And Moses struck the rock. And God released the judgment against Moses and says, you're not going to go into the promised land. That is kind of like, God, that's a bit harsh. But when you backtrack and look at things from God's perspective, you understand that because of the dimension of glory, 
that Moses was working, was walking in. Every disobedience to God meant there was greater accountability. So right now, you may be praying, God, I want more of you. God, I want your glory. And God doesn't always answer those prayers because he's actually in his mercy holding himself back. Because if you were to answer those prayers, it's not just the glory that's going to come in your life, but there'll be great judgment for your disobedience and there'll be greater trials. Are you ready for that? Or are you just wanting the glory to make you feel good so that you can be the superstar on TV that's laying hands on everyone and they've been slain? Or are you ready for the glory that's going to judge your disobedience? Are you ready for the glory that's going to lead you into persecution? Oftentimes, God is holding his glory back because he's saying to the church, you are not ready. You're saying you want it, but you are not ready. And God is like, I want to release this glory on a great measure. I want to prepare a people that can carry the weight of what I'm about to release. I can speak from a perspective of ministry and and you could, maybe you're not in ministry like me, full-time doing this. Maybe let's talk about family, career, and money issues, finance issues. And we can get to a place where we're so contending for God to move in our lives and release our breakthroughs. We think God is just existing to do those things for us. And our goal is on those things. From a ministry point of view, my goal could be just on prayer storm. Oh, God, increase prayer storm. Oh, Lord, more doors, more open doors, more favor. And that's all. But God, God actually does not care about prayer storm. I know that might be shocking to you. God is not working on prayer storm. God is working on me. Prayer storm will be what it's meant to be when James and the people that are around me become who they're called to be. So you're like, oh God, give me the career. Give me. And God's like, I can open those doors just like that. But I'm not going to put you in that position because you're not even reflecting my image. You're still gossiping. You're still backbiting. You're getting offended because someone didn't greet you at the door and someone looked at you funny. And all of a sudden you're like, I don't want anything to do with church anymore because the message kind of made you feel funny. You're like, oh Lord, I don't want to go. And you want God to open those doors for you? You have no internal still of faith and character. So he cannot entrust the weight of his glory to that. Because if he did that to you, it's going to destroy you. The very blessing you're crying out for is a thing that comes around and destroys you. Because you've not been through the process of preparation to handle the weight of it. Moses, I love Moses because of his walk with God. Moses was in the desert for 40 years. And it's, you know, I feel sad that the Bible does not give us a lot of details about those 40 years. Because... Before Moses went into the desert, Moses was self-confident. He wanted to fulfill the calling of God on his life. With his own strength, in fact, he was going to do what God had told him to do, and he was going to do it well. He saw someone persecuting another Israelite. He was like, yeah, I'm called to bring deliverance. Kill that person. Now he's in trouble, so he runs away into the desert for 40 years. I am convinced that in those 40 years, God did such a deep work in Moses that meant that he could now carry the glory. Because after those 40 years, the same God came to Moses and said, Moses, I want to send you forth as a deliverer. And Moses says, no, not me. The guy that 40 years earlier was like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to kill them. It's like, oh, no, me. Because God has such, done such a work in him 
there was such a deep brokenness that came in those 40 years. So God took Moses out of Egypt to take Egypt out of Moses, to send him back into Egypt to break the bondage of Egypt off of the people. God could not send Moses back into Egypt without delivering him from Egypt. And so the people came out of Egypt. Listen, the people came out of Egypt, but they were more wanting their freedom from slavery as opposed to wanting God himself. Moses used the Exodus as a means to know God. The people of Israel used the Exodus as a means to get out of slavery. They just wanted to get out of slavery. They did not want God. They wanted freedom. So they manipulated the presence of God, church, to get what they wanted, which is what we do today. We manipulate the presence of God to get what we want. So the presence of God is not the end, and God is not the end of the, God is not the goal. God is just the means to get to where we want to get to. Oh yeah, God, I want the breaks. I want the break. I'm crying out to God. So Moses is using the wilderness experience as a means to know God. Moses is using his trials as a means to get to know Holy Spirit. Not using Holy Spirit as a means to get out of his trials. I want to grow in this situation, Lord. I don't want to just go through this and not be changed. I'm going through stuff even right now. I'm thinking, God, I need to be changed. I don't just want to be challenged. I want to be changed. That this time next year, you see me and like, yeah, yeah, there's something that's changing here. Not because of how good I am, but because I allowed God to take me through the process of the wilderness. And I wasn't rushing it. Remember Jesus on the, uh, in the temptation? Satan came and says, look at the kingdoms of the world. I'm going to give it to you right now. And uh, Jesus said no. And rebuked Satan. Quote the scripture, rebuked Satan. G- uh, Satan was offering to Jesus... God's intended purpose for Jesus, the kingdoms of this world, because Satan got it from Adam. So he actually had authority, and it's known as the the God of this age, the God of this world. Satan is known as that, because he took something from Adam. Now, obviously, after Jesus rose from the dead, he took that back from Satan. He says, all authority has been given to me, which means someone has none, because he says, all has been given to me, so the enemy has none. Amen? Amen? So the enemy is tempting Jesus, though, before the cross, and says, bow to me. And I'm going to give you all of these kingdoms. So it was God's intended purpose for Jesus to have all the kingdoms of this world. But Satan was offering Jesus God's intended purpose for Jesus minus the process. What was the process? The cross. Jesus did not just die on the cross for our sins. He died on the cross to show us how to die on the cross. Because, you know, he says, carry your cross. Where are you carrying your cross to? If he says, carry your cross and follow me, where are you carrying that cross to? You're carrying that cross to the same place he went with his cross. To get on it and be nailed to it. Two people are trying to kill you. God and the devil. You choose who you want to kill you. And when I say trying to kill you, the flesh, God wants to kill the flesh. The enemy wants to destroy your destiny and your purpose and your calling in God. So he also wants to kill you. So he say, Lord, on this cross and this crisis, I am choosing for the flesh to die. Because when God begins to do that kind of work in you, when you come out on the other side, you come out with faith of steel. The three Hebrew boys, this still challenges me. I mean, they were going to be burnt alive and you know what they said God is able to deliver us 
But even if he doesn't, that phrase, even if he doesn't, I don't think many of us Christians in the 21st century have a room in our thinking for that ideology. Even if he doesn't, I will not bow. Even if he doesn't, I will not lose my faith. Even if he doesn't, I will not give up. Even if he doesn't, heal the sick. Even if he doesn't, raise the dead. Even if he doesn't, heal my marriage. I will not. That is the faith of steel. And listen, that is the type of faith that's necessary for the persecutions ahead of the church in our generation. And the diet of the church right now is mostly feed me, feed me, feed me. It's not people preparing the church to be martyrs for God. So we're going to get on Sky News and BBC News and they're going to mock our faith and many of us are going to crumble because we don't want everyone to look at us badly because we're scared of what they think. No, no, no. The kind of church God is raising up does not care if people laugh at us. But right now we care if people laugh at us because mostly what we try to do is try to look like the world to reach the world. That's not what the apostles did. They were different from the world. And they knew people were going to laugh at them. In fact, people were scared to join them. And even in that, God still added more to them. And it was from that place of being different, not from an elitist, elitist mindset. It was from that place of being different that God was able to use them to change the world. In our UK 21st century evangelical charismatic tongue-talking flag-waving church, we often don't have any theology for trials and sufferings. And we're not developing people that are able to withstand the pressure. If we can't stand right now in the face of cancer, if we can't stand right now in the face of betrayals, if we can't stand right now because we prayed and something didn't happen or someone died or we did this, if we can't stand right now, what makes you think you're going to stand when the Antichrist is right there before you and your life depends on it? You can't stand right now in a culture that's actually quite easy to live our faith. Yes, there's challenges, but I'm going to read you some stories in a few moments and I'm going to finish you realize the challenges we're facing is nothing compared to some of the challenges that people faced to get this book to us. And we cannot afford to live a Christianity that's anything less than wholehearted, saying, God, yes, it's challenging. God, I don't really feel like I want to do this right now. But Lord, like Peter says, you're the one with the words of eternal life. Where else can I go? Who else can I run to? Yeah, Lord, I, I am feeling discouraged right now, but Lord, where else can I go? There is no option. I have no other options. You know, little problems happen to some Christians and they're like, God doesn't exist. If God exists, why would he let that happen? Why is this going on right now? By the way, there's also an enemy. We're not talking about that today, but you've got to realize not everything that happens to you is from God and God's doing it. There's also an enemy that's out to frustrate the purposes of God in our lives. But we're just, we're just so flimsy and so weak in not being able to withstand simple pressures and come out refined in fire. And God is like, I need the church to be stronger because there are great storms ahead. And those storms are greater than what we're going through right now. There's great persecutions ahead. 
When you're just desperate for your miracle, as opposed to desperate to, for God, you become impatient. And when you become impatient, you produce Ishmael. When you're just desperate for your miracle, as opposed to just desperate for God, you become impatient and you risk producing an Ishmael, not an Isaac. Because you just want to do whatever can to make it happen in your own strength. When you're desperate for your miracle as opposed to just desperate for God, you cannot differentiate between God's supply and the bait of Satan. Because now you just, you're just so desperate to get this thing, anything goes. And you see, when you're going through a trial, a sickness, a challenge, and you get to the place where Jesus becomes more real to you than the cancer, then that cancer has to leave. Or Jesus becomes more real to you than the financial crisis, then the financial crisis has to leave. Now, that's not to say that in that instant moment, you don't face the pressures anymore. But there is this mysterious thing that happens when he becomes more real to you than your problem, such that your problem becomes like nothing. And actually, that is how you overcome that problem. It's by making Jesus the ultimate focus, not just by going after, oh, yeah, just, now, yes, we have to contend for breakthrough. But don't just manipulate the presence of God for that. And then when you get the breakthrough, oh yeah, thank you God, bye-bye. That's how most people live in the church. Now, I want to finish with these stories, three stories. I know it's a bit longer today, but bear with me. How many of you know the song, um, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back? You know how that song was written? Uh, there was a revival in Wales, not the Welsh revival, another revival, and uh, missionaries were sent out from Wales to the ends of the earth, and many missionaries went to India. So missionaries ended up in India preaching the gospel to this tribe that basically they're quite intense. They, you know, one of the ways they show strength is when, you know, when they kill uh, an enemy, they put the head of the enemy on their wall as a sign of victory and strength. So, I mean, these guys were kind of intense. These missionaries were out there to, to release the gospel to them. They preached the gospel for so long, and uh, a family gets saved. A man, his wife, and two sons. And then the village chief hears about it. An angry mob gathers around this family, and they start to challenge the man of the house. And they say to him, renounce your faith or we're going to kill your sons right now. And they had the archers pointing the arrows at them, ready to shoot them. They asked him to renounce his faith. Do you know what his response was? He says, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Boom, they kill his two sons. The chief looks at him again and says, renounce your faith, or we're going to kill your wife. Do you know what his response was? Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. Boom, they kill his wife. It says to him, renounce your faith or we're going to kill you. And you know what it says next? The cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back, no turning back. Boom, they kill him. Right there, the whole family dead. And in that moment, the village chief realizes something supernatural just took place. And he is like convicted by, uh, by their stance in their faith. And he ends up having an encounter with God. 
and a revival ends up breaking out in that tribe before Christians died could God not save them yes he could do you think the man could not have easily got offended at God in that moment seeing his own children being killed how many Christians today will stand like that in the face of persecution or actually what we do in our 21st century intellectual culture is we're going to find a theology that okays our denial in that moment you know the song it is well with my soul you know how that was written that song was written by a guy called Harito Spafford in 1870 he lost his son to fever and this guy's a businessman a year later he's a very successful businessman a year later was the great Chicago fire and all his assets were burned to the ground. He lost his whole business. So to encourage himself, he decides to send his wife and his four daughters over the Atlantic Ocean to go to a D.L. Moody uh, crusade. While they're on the way going to a D.L. Moody crusade, their ship collides with another vessel, and they're in this turmoil, his wife is saved, but his four daughters drown. His wife gets to the other side of the Atlantic Ocean. She's grieving. She sends him a telegram and he says, saved alone. So he's grieving and he's wanting to travel over to his wife to go and comfort her. So he gets on the ship and goes on the same Atlantic Ocean where his four daughters have just been drowned. He gets to a place on the ocean and he's told this is the place where the accident happens. Right when he got to that place, these are the words that came out of his mouth. When peace like a river attended my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. He was speaking those words over the very Atlantic Ocean that drowned his four daughters. Do you think God could not have saved his daughters? Do you think he did not have the right in some way to go offending a God? Lord, why did you let this happen to me? I doubt if any of us in this room have gone through anything to that level of degree. And many times in the less trials we go through, we get more offended at God. And people go through so much more and they come out with such incredible revelation of God and such strength in their faith I believe God is calling us to live this kind of faith now the last story I'm going to share with you is this I went to a gathering some time ago in London some weeks ago actually organized by an organization called Open Doors and they were um, uh, dealing with a lot of uh, they, Open Doors just deals with a lot of stuff going on in the persecuted church and so this particular event was called Love Nigeria. So we're talking a lot about the persecutions going on in Nigeria right now. And for those of you that don't know, there's tremendous amount of persecution going on in Nigeria, especially in the north. Many Christians are being killed by these groups called the Fulani Headsmen. They show up in villages and they just start shooting people. They show up in Christian villages and they just start shooting people and killing people. And the government is doing pretty much nothing about it. And lots and lots and lots of people are being killed. And sometimes people send me videos and things. And I'm just so broken on the internet. Like, Lord, this is not okay. Now, I went to this event and they played some videos on the screen of some of the pastors who'd lost wives, who, who, who their churches had been burnt down. And 
And the joy in their face and even what they were saying, they were saying things like, what can separate us from the love of God? And I'm just watching this being so challenged to the core. Like, Lord, that is faith. That in the face of death, losing everything, that I'm not doubting your love and I'm not doubting your faith. Oftentimes in the West, our faith is so fickle and everything that doesn't happen, we're like, oh, I, got, I don't know if God loves me. But here is someone who's lost a family, a, 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 you know, a church burned to the ground. And they're still able to say nothing can separate from the love of God. However, this next story I'm about to share to, with you just broke me. I was like, I'm undone. The Fulani herdsmen went into a village, a Christian village, to kill people. They came across this girl. This girl is, her, she's an orphan. Her parents, were, her parents were Muslims, her parents are dead, but she got adopted by a Christian family. So when they saw this girl, they said to her, take us to your home. She took this, uh, she took these uh, terrorists to um, uh, a home, adopted parents' home. They saw her parents and they just gunned them down, shot them right there. Now, these parents had an eight-year-old girl that just watched her parents being killed by these terrorists. And now, the terrorists were about to kill the orphan girl that has Muslim parents that just been adopted. The, 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 the terrorists were about to kill the orphan girl, and the eight-year-old girl that's been brought up in his Christian home looks at the terrorists and says this, don't kill her. She's an orphan. Kill me instead. And boom, they shoot her dead. What do you do with that kind of faith? And I've got some issues. I've got some challenges. But I'm like, Lord, I'm sorry for where I get offended at you for so little things. Yeah, they, they may be significant to me, but look over there Christians dying for the gospel and I'm over here complaining because I've not got my my money for my rent and I've not got my money for whatever else Lord I need my faith to be stronger and be like that of steel that will not buckle under any pressure cancer loss financial challenge issues in marriage issues Lord I want my faith to remain strong I remember Job he lost everything. And I love that the Bible says this. When the news came to him that he'd lost everything, you know the first thing Job, Job did? He grieved. It's not wrong to grieve. It's okay to say, Lord, I am in pain. Lord, I am hurting. Maybe you're struggling with some disappointing situations right now. You've prayed. You've not seen the breakthrough. Maybe there's pain in your body. You've prayed. You've not seen things happen. Lord, it's okay to grieve and say, Lord, I'm struggling. But you know the next thing he did after grieving? He worshipped. In the midst of losing everything, he was able to say, Lord, I worship you. Lord, I honor you. I don't have to understand what's going on, but I'm just going to honor you because you are God and I am not. You see more than I can ever see. And I'm so frustrated with all these things that are happening around me. But Lord, I choose to trust you. I don't understand, but I choose to trust you. Thank you for tuning in to Preston Podcast. We hope you have enjoyed today's episode. For more information and teachings, go to www.prayerstorm.org.